It's HSK Today, a weekly in-depth look at the Henderson Silver Knights and the AHL with your host, Brian McCormick. And here we go, live from the Dollar Loan Center on a sunny Wednesday afternoon. This is HSK Today. Brian McCormick here, you there. Lindsey Brown on the other side of the glass as we talk horse hockey all day long and i mean that all day long this is your uh, your extended pregame edition of hsk today if you will because the henderson silver knights battled in ontario last night the bus got in uh, in the wee hours of the morning actually the middle hours of the morning uh and then we turned around got to the rink and starting to set up for another game tonight as the silver knights will welcome the bakersfield condors so uh, a deceptively busy week for the Silver Knights, if you incorporate travel as well. They had the uh, the home opening weekend, which always, you know, is uh, a lot of excitement and a lot of energy, and you know, de- deceptively uh, taxing, I think, on on a team. And you heard Manny Viveros and some of the players mention it as well. You love home opening weekend. You get excited for it. You want good results from it. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bells and whistles that go into opening weekend with the silver carpet and, of course, the fan excitement and, and all the, the things away from the rink that uh, that fold into opening day. Uh, once that's over with, you get a day to take a breath, but for the Silver Knights, they, they really haven't had that much decompression time. Last night in Ontario, tonight home against Bakersfield, which, again, the Condors were here waiting for the Silver Knights. Bakersfield hasn't played since Sunday. Tonight will be just their third game of the season. Uh, and the Silver Knights uh, playing game number four before getting a, a day off tomorrow and then traveling to San Jose to face the Barracuda on Saturday and Sunday. So out of the gates, it, it's a very busy period for the Silver Knights, even with a substantial amount of home games here at the Dollar Loan Center. So uh, for the Silver Knights, last night a 5-3 defeat to the Ontario Reign, a, a final score that's bolstered by Nate Thompson's empty netter in the final minute. Uh, Silver Knights get two goals from Byron Fraze, another goal from Maxime Marishev, uh, but just not enough against a, a high-octane Ontario attack uh, led by Rasmus Kapari last night who had a three-point outing the LA Kings first rounder. So we'll talk a little bit about last night's uh, outing for the Silver Knights. We'll preview, of course, tonight's contest with the Bakersfield Condors. And if the Silver Knights now in their third season, still uh, young in their franchise tenure, but if you're going to pick a team that is the uh, the rival for the Silver Knights, you're probably picking the Bakersfield Condors, a team that's had more success against the Silver Knights than anyone else, and that includes in Henderson slash Vegas. They've only come to the Dollar Loan Center one time, and you probably remember it because it was the first ever game at the Dollar Loan Center back on April the 2nd of last spring, and the Bakersfield Condors are spoiling the party with a 5-2 win over the Silver Knights. Bakersfield has been very, very good, not just against the Silver Knights in general, although they have been, but in particular in uh, in this area code. 11-6-1. 11-6-1. That is the Condors' all-time record against the Silver Knights. 11-6-1. Those 11 wins more than any other team has against Henderson. And on the road yeah, uh, against the Silver Knights. So that's combining the uh, tenure at the Orleans and also the DLC. Uh, the Condors 6-2-1 all-time as visitors against the Henderson Silver Knights. And that is not accounting for 
the playoff series in 2021 when the Condors won two of three at T-Mobile Arena. So it is uh, certainly not a team that comes into Henderson timid. Uh, it's a team that's lost a decent amount of uh, the familiar names of the last couple of years, like Tyler Benson, uh, no longer in the mix. Uh, it, it's uh, Adam Cracknell, of course, who we just saw with the Tucson Roadrunners last week. Still some some regulars for the uh, Condors, but they're in a little bit of transition. They brought in uh, a significant uh, amount of veteran firepower. Uh, NHL bottom sixers, who, of course, play a higher role at the AHL level, like Greg McKegg. Uh, Jason Demers on the back end, who's played almost 700 NHL games. He is now in the Condors lineup and, uh, and another familiar name that's on the roster but not yet to see game action uh, is Matthias Janmark, former VGK. So uh, this is going to be a good Condors team. We've talked already, this is going to be a very, very good division uh, but we'll break down that contest as the uh, afternoon rolls along. In our next segment, we're also going to catch up with AHL insider Patrick Williams. We always love to have Patrick on the show because there's no one better versed on the ins and outs of the American Hockey League than he of course, he is the insider for AHL.com and also NHL.com, and he's covered the league for a very, very long time. So we like to have him on several times throughout the year, but certainly at the start of the year uh, to give us a little bit of a sense of what we can expect and what we should look for uh, as all these teams get to know themselves and we get to know them as well. I always say in October, good teams don't know that they're good yet, bad teams don't know that they're bad yet, and that makes everyone very, very dangerous. Hopefully Patrick can help us uh, find some answers of, who's uh, going to get out of the gates hot, who's uh, as good as they look, and maybe who's playing a little bit over their heads in the early weeks of the AHL season. So in our next segment, we will get Patrick Williams on the phone. Well, for the Silver Knights last night in Ontario, again, a, uh, again another game where they felt they played well. Now, of course, they felt they played well Saturday against Tucson, the 6-2 victory. Uh, but Manny Viveros was very happy with how his team performed Friday on opening night despite a 2-1 loss to Tucson, and he liked what he saw last night as well. After the game last night, here's what Manny Viveros had to say in his own words. With head coach Manny Viveros, Manny, you guys had some really good pushes in the third period, trailing by a goal. Did you like the way you guys finished the game? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I liked the way we played our, our whole game. Uh, you know, we, we had some uh, really good opportunities. Uh, we got off to a really good start. Um, you know, we had some really good looks in the second period, and uh, you know, we lost a little bit of momentum uh, on the five-on-three. Um, you know, had a couple of good looks, we didn't score. Um, you know, then all of a sudden we make just a, a mental mistake in the in the neutral zone last minute. We get three forwards caught, they come back and score. So now we're playing catch up again. And uh, but I, I like the way we pushed and pressed, and we created more than op opportunities to to score, like really great A chances we just didn't do it like we deserve to, to in my opinion deserve to win the game tonight um, but again a lesson learned um, um, you know you, you know you, you've got to in this league especially against this team you've got to be on your tools all the time and you got to stick to your structure or else you're going to get burnt and we did and that was head coach May Viveros and, and you know interesting there, there was a lot he said last night that kind of harkened back to what he said opening night which was he liked the effort. He liked the opportunities generated. And the Silver Knights are a couple of bounces of the puck away from being 3-0 and as opposed to 1-2. and And I don't say that flippantly because any team can make an argument that, oh, if we'd gotten a little better puck luck, we'd have more wins. And that, that's 
anyone can make that uh, that statement. But for the Silver Knights, if you look at the opening night loss to the Tucson Roadrunners, where they put uh, just a pile of rubber at Ivan Prosvetov in the third period, there was a puck that was laying the blue paint behind Prosvetov that he didn't see. Brendan Brisson slid at it, swung at it, swung in a headlong slide like he was stealing second base. Swung at it with his stick as he slid towards it, and the stick went over top. Then his body went over top. The puck never moved. That's a gaping net that for the Silver Knights could have gotten them to overtime as Ivan Prosvetov was playing uh, better than his uh, career stat line would indicate. Last night against the Ontario Reign, I think the difference there is it's a team that is a high-powered offensive team with Samuel Fagimo, with TJ Tynan, with Rasmus Kupari, who's making a case now as he's getting a little bit older in his development with all the young prospects that have come through the LA Kings system in the last couple of years. Rasmus Kupari is certainly, I'm sure, at a point in his career where he's like, i got to make my NHL claim now. He's been with the Kings up and down for some significant stretches, but he hasn't really caught on for a full-time job, obviously. So uh, whether or not he'll have a little edge this year is uh, what we're going to find out, but he certainly had last night with a goal and three points. Um, for the Silver Knights against Tucson on opening night, played well, made a couple of mistakes. It was in the back; they ended up in the back of their net. But that was a, t- a team that the Silver Knights felt like they could have uh, capitalizing on their opportunities. Found a way to tie that game in the third period. It didn't happen. Ivan Prosvetov played too well. Last night is more of a lesson, and again, you heard uh, maybe Rose College is that a lesson that the high-powered offensive teams, it's hard to chase the game. It's hard to spot a team a lead and find your way back, or it's hard to make uh, you know stub your own toe and then claw your way back into a game. And the Silver Knights almost did it. Again, they had a, a 2-1 lead. Rasmus Kopari scores on the uh, on the power play, and then Akil Thomas scores at the end of the second period in the final minute on a wrist shot that uh, might have been through a, a partial screen from Braden Pahal, but that was just one instance where the Silver Knights lost bodies in the neutral zone, and Akil Thomas was able to carry in with, with speed and, and uh, w- without the Silver Knights being able to, to get their gap control for that zone entry. But Akil Thomas, uh, that goal was one of the very, very few instances where the Henderson Silver Knights were not, as Manny Vivero says, uh, above the Ontario reign in the, in the neutral zone. They didn't have their gaps right. They weren't on the right side of the puck. Largely, the Silver Knights won the neutral zone battle last night, and again, they created chances. In the third period, uh, or pardon me, the second period, the Silver Knights had the five-on-three for a minute 51 seconds, a lengthy five-on-three, and they couldn't capitalize, but it wasn't for a lack of opportunity. They had a Brendan Brisson one-timer that hit Matthew Villalta right between the eyes, and Brendan Brisson still looking for his first point of the season through the first few games, and uh, and he's, he's right there, just... It hasn't gone for him just yet. Later on in the five-on-three, Lucas Cormier rang one off the post as he nearly had his first AHL goal. So the Silver Knights had the in-zone possession. They had the looks they wanted. They just couldn't capitalize. And then the uh, Ontario Reign, to their credit, they won the special teams battle, and they won the momentum battle. After they killed off that five-on-three, a couple minutes later, the Akil Thomas goal gives them the lead. They never look back. But the Kapari power play goal, the successful five-on-three kill, the shorthanded goal for Tyler Madden to open the scoring in the game, all of those little wrinkles are just, whether you want to call them in their own uh, instances, mistakes, mistakes happen, fine, and they burn the Silver Knights in those instances. It was just too much for the Silver Knights to climb back against, and also good teams making good plays, and uh, thats I don't think anyone's under the impression that Ontario is not going to be one of the better teams in the Pacific Division this season. So for the Silver Knights, they are 1-2, and, and I'm sure they're frustrated to be 1-2, 
but they've played three games, all of which they're pretty darn happy with. Uh, and that's good for a team coming out of training camp to feel confident that they're doing the right things. There's going to need to be a little bit of finish. Uh, and they had it Saturday. They scored three goals last night in Ontario. On some nights, that's going to be enough to win. Um, but it, there's a matter of perfecting certain uh, structures that are going to uh, they're going to prevent some of those lapses that, that have cost the Silver Knights a couple of points in the standings over this first week. But if this is the kind of loss that you have in the middle of a five-game losing streak in the middle of January where you say, geez, we, we, I thought we played well. What do we have to do to get out of the, this funk? That's one where you, you maybe are harder on the Silver Knights or, or a little more frustrated. Right now for the Silver Knights, Three games in, they've played three pretty good games, including a very good game against a team that's going to be in the upper third of the division. Uh, and they're getting contributions from some of the newcomers, which I think is very encouraging for the Silver Knights as well. There's a couple of players that are very, you know, right there and haven't found the back of the net yet, like Brendan Brisson, like Spencer Fu, who's been involved offensively, has been really uh, an agitating offensive presence with the amount of uh, time he spends on the puck through these three games. Just has, doesn't have anything to show for it yet. But other players are finding the back of the net, and uh, and that's important for the Silver Knights to get those new acquisitions going. And last night, that included Byron Fraze, who had not just his first goal, but his first two goals as a Henderson Silver Knights. And for Byron Fraze, it sounded like this. In comes Rombjörg on the left wing. Pass to the high slot. There's a shot by Fraze, and he scores. The Silver Knights clogged up the neutral zone, turned it the other way quickly, and Byron Fraze has his first goal in a Silver Knights uniform. The Silver Knights have a 2-1 to lead. Silver Knights back in on the right side. This is Rombjörg, centers to the front, trying to poke it with one hand on a stick with Fraze. He couldn't connect. Right point shot by Pahal, save, rebound, score! Byron Fraze again on the rebound in front. Valalta was out of position. And Fraze flips it in for his second of the night. The Silver Knights are back within one. And that was Byron Fraze, goals one and two as a Silver Knight after he got his first HSK point with an assist on Saturday. He's looked very, very comfortable. And, and right now for the Silver Knights, it's definitely a strong unit down the middle. Byron Fraze and Zachary Manon in the top, uh, the center's in the top six. Uh, and then on the bottom six, Colt Conrad and Connor Ford. Connor Ford with a couple of points already in the first three games of the season. And uh, I, I think for the Silver Knights, there's a reason why they've changed very, very little about their forward group uh, in the first three games. There, there hasn't been a ton of shuffling because you want to build chemistry too. You don't want these players uh, juggling every single day and not being able to find any kind of consistency. Uh, but, but all four lines are generating. And that's good news for the Silver Knights. On the other side, defensively, for the Silver Knights, we have seen a little bit more juggling, but it's just because there's so many bodies to get into the lineup. Zach Hayes was out of the lineup last night, but that was to give Daniel Cheka a chance to get in. Uh, we saw Lucas Cormier for the second straight game after he made his debut on Saturday. Right now, there's just a lot of healthy bodies on the back end for the Silver Knights, which, uh, of course, uh, on the one hand is a you know embarrassment of riches, if you will, but they're going to want to find some... Uh, consistent balance on the back end to make sure everyone's getting their minutes uh, without taking players like Zach Hayes or, or Peter Dilibratori out of the lineup because, uh, again, earlier this week, Dan uh, Daniil Mirmanov was added to the lineup. He is uh, was recovering from his off-season uh, upper body procedure during the off-season. Uh, that uh, cost him training camp, but they knew he was close. He has now been added back to the Silver Knights lineup. Not sure when we're going to see him in game action just yet, but he is not wearing the red no-contact jersey anymore. Uh, so he's close. So it's already a crowded back end. 
Uh, but Daniil Miramanov, one of the best offensive defensemen in the American Hockey League last season. When he's healthy, he's going to be in. So uh, that that's just going to get a little further crowded uh, in the days to come. We're going to hop out, but when we come back, we'll have Patrick Williams, AHL insider, to talk all things American Hockey League and get his perspective on some of these veterans that have joined the Silver Knights lineup, players like Byron Fraze, Sheldon Rempel, Spencer Fu. Guys have been around a while. I'm sure Patrick Williams has an opinion. So he'll join us on the other side of the break. Brian McCormick here with you on HSK Today on 1230 The Game, the Silver Knights Radio Network. Is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Patrick. Is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Patrick. Is this the Krusty Krab? No! This is HSK Today. Back on HSK Today, Brian McCormick here with you. Busy week for the Silver Knights. Last night in Ontario, tonight at home against the Bakersfield Condors, and then this weekend at the brand-new building in San Jose to take on the Barracuda Saturday and Sunday. So there's lots to catch up on, but also we're right at the start of the season, so there's still a lot to, to learn and familiarize ourselves with around the American Hockey League at large, and whenever we need that, we bring in the expert AHL insider Patrick Williams, who joins us now. Patrick, thanks for taking the time, and uh, it's been a few months. I hope you spent the summer wisely. Yeah, it was a short summer uh, with the late playoff, but, uh, yeah, it was a good summer for sure. Well, we're going to talk all things AHL, but we'll start uh, Silver Knights-centric first. Uh, the way the Silver Knights built this roster in the offseason, there's, of course, the, the young players that fans are excited about, like your Brendan Brassans and your Lucas Cormiers, but there was definitely a, an interest, and, and Tim Speltz says as much, of infusing uh, a bit of more veteran savvy in this lineup, and the likes of Byron Fraze, Spencer Fu coming back across the pond, and, uh, you know, throw in uh, a player like Sheldon Rempel as well. There was definitely a, a, a need for legitimate AHL experience, Michael Hutchinson too. What do you think of the uh, the choices of, of who they brought in and how they can fit? I thought they were excellent moves. I also thought they were uh, a good variety of moves, right? Like you brought in, you know, your classic AHL veteran, like a Byron Fraze, a guy who's been to two finals. He's been a captain in this league who is, you know, proven, uh, you know, producer, you know, offensively, uh, excellent, you know, as far as leadership. Rempel, uh, huge breakout year last year. You know, he yeah. was one of those guys that was, he was kind of on that, that, you know, teetering on that brink. Is he, is he a prospect? Is he not? And, uh, you know, breaks out last year, 33 goals. I mean, you know, with a, with a solid, but not certainly an explosive Abbotsford team. Uh, um, Pooh is another great example, real, um, real creative player. Um, obviously has some high level experience at, you know, at the HL level, then, kind of was able to broaden his game by going over to the KHL for a few years. And, uh, and I, I also really like the, uh, uh Sakari Manninen, uh, move. Yeah. I thought, uh, he's kind of your classic, uh, European veteran pro. Um, and those guys tend to, they tend to fit in pretty well, um, especially coming over a little bit later. And, um, you know, there's not a whole lot in his game from what I've seen that you got to, um, uh, really refine. I mean, he's kind of a plug and play player from what I've seen and, so, you know, I thought it was an excellent, uh, excellent offseason for Henderson. I kind of feel, Patrick, and it's not exclusive to the Pacific Division, but just what we've seen from the Pacific Division the last couple of years, and especially because the Pacific Division teams are going to be playing almost exclusively, almost exclusively, an in-division schedule. 
the teams that have that veteran presence tend to be the ones that have more firepower in the spring. Bakersfield's always had it with the Megnas and Securas and Sherwoods last year. Colorado had it. It's not like the Silver Knights are the only team that tried to make sure that they had it because Bakersfield lost Adam Cracknell. They, they lost a couple, but now you look at their lineup for tonight, uh, the, 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 uh, the roster sheet, and it has Jason Demers and Greg McKegg. They still have that veteran savvy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brad Malone's up, up with Edmonton, but if he comes back, there's another top veteran in this league. I mean, I go up to up and down that you know that ten team division, and I don't see one real weak team there. I think Tucson got a little bit better. San Jose completely overhauled um, yeah. their their roster from the off season. Uh, uh, Calgary's zero and two, but I mean they were the Western Conference uh, or the Pacific Division uh, finalists last year, so. Um, and they brought back a fair number of players, including Dustin Wolf. So uh, that's that's a, a situation where you know every everybody forces everybody else to get better. You can't really sit back, um, wait, you know, trying to see what you have. This is a division I think right from the get go is is going to be a real fight. Um, you know, the remarkable thing is you're going to have some some really quality teams I think that that don't end up going to the playoffs. Or the AHL insider Patrick Williams. You mentioned Calgary. Calgary, one of two. Uh, new teams, if you will, relocated from, from Stockton. Of course, there's the Coachella Valley Firebirds as well. They went head-to-head this past weekend at the Saddle Dome. Calgary relocating uh, their AHL affiliate to Calgary. I'm sure there are a handful of options of where they could have moved that team from Stockton. They also had the option to stay in Stockton. Uh, what can you tell us about the, uh, the, the thought process of what they, were, uh, what they were weighing and why they decided that bringing the team to Calgary was the best option for them? Well, they were able to kind of get a little bit of a taste of it during the pandemic season, the 2021 shortened season. Um, they had brought the team up to to Calgary that year because of the border issues, and uh, they played an exclusively uh, Canadian schedule that year based in Calgary, and uh, it went really well. Um, you know, they, they, Calgary's an interesting situation because they, over the last 20 or so years, have, have kind of hopscotched all over really North America. Yeah. In terms of trying to find the right fit, they thought they had it with Stockton, but that market just Thanks. didn't pan out for them. And not, not to interrupt um, you, Patrick, but just in, in my in my recollection, and I'm sure I'm going to forget a few, but in my uh, semi-adult lifetime, it's been <laughs> Omaha, Adirondack, Quad City, Abbotsford, Stockton. I don't think I'm leaving anybody out in just that window, but maybe I skipped over somebody before getting they to Calgary. They had a a dual affiliation in Lowell for I believe two years with <laughs> that was with Carolina, and then uh, they left St. John in '03. So there's there's yeah, some Calgary Flames fan <laughs> with a really impressive jersey collection in his closet. Yes, uh, so they've kind of been everywhere. I think they just decided, hey, why not just bring the whole operation in our backyard? Uh, now, it certainly puts a strain on the uh, on the building there because um, you also have the WHL team, the Hitmen, yeah. um, who are going to place uh, kind of a split schedule between there and another rink in the area. But uh, you know that busy, that building's going to be popping uh, pretty much every night uh, this winter, and I think it's, it's a lot like Henderson and Vegas. Uh, it gives the fans there an opportunity to see their their NHL prospects. Um, and just a different price point, right? I mean, the NHL is obviously you know it's a pretty expensive ticket in a lot of markets and. Um, certainly Calgary is one of them. And now if uh, you're, you're, you're that, that family of four, you can kind of bring the kids out, you know, to the game and you expose them to hockey and, you know, kind of a, you know, different uh, venue. Uh, opening weekend, they had uh, the lower bowl, you know, that was where all the fans were seated. So uh, 
that gives fans an opportunity to sit up close and just try to get a different experience than they might um, otherwise have. I like to say in Vegas, there's uh, between the Silver Knights and the Gold Knights, there's something on every night. But in Calgary, with the Hitmen thrown yeah. in the mix, there's really something on every single night at Saddledome. Yeah. We're with Patrick Williams. Uh, Patrick, let's talk about a story that you dropped this morning that I thought was was a really good read. Uh, when you talk about movement in the offseason, we usually talk about players. Sometimes we talk about coaches. We don't usually talk about coaches who have been in one spot for 26 years, but Roy Sommer has a new address in the same uh, in the same division. Yeah, this is a. I mean, this is a lead where if you're in one spot as a coach for three years, you're kind of uh, one of the senior, uh, you know, right. the old faces. Twenty. Yeah, he was 26 years. 24 of them were, were with the AHL club. Um, there's another guy who kind of uh, moved around the country. Uh, he was in Kentucky, Cleveland, Worcester, San Jose, Roy Sommer, and uh, put 150 players up in the NHL uh, during that time. Um, pretty much anybody that, that was anybody for the you know, San Jose Sharks for the last better part of the past quarter century, which when I put it that way is even more <laughs> remarkable. Um, he had a really rough year. That was a, that was a team that was uh, really thin last year. Um, they decided to go a different um, path, uh, new management coming in. He just wasn't done coaching. Um, you know, he, and they offered him a nice kind of one of those cushy senior advisor jobs where, you know, you, you just have to show up and kind of give your your two cents. But uh, he wanted to coach. He wanted to still ride the buses. Uh, you know, one of those guys who relates really well, even though there's, I mean, some cases a 45-year-old age gap between him and his players. Um, he's always been able to adapt. I think that's probably his best strength. Um, he's not a huge X's and O's guy, but he really knows how to reach uh, today's players. And, uh, yeah, it's great to have him still around. All-time uh, coaching uh, leader in wins and games coach. So, um, just uh, kind of, a, he's going to be a shoe in for the AHL Hall of Fame, uh, no question. Absolutely, uh, and again, if after 26 years with one organization, several cities, as you mentioned, but one organization, mm -hmm. if I have to turn my life upside down at uh, that age, and San Diego's where you land, uh, there are worse punishments, I do suppose. <laughs> but yeah, he had to run that past the family. I, I didn't get the sense when I spoke with him that that was a real tough sell. Not a lot of resistance. <laughs> We're with Patrick Williams, AHL insider. Uh, on that same topic, you look at the Pacific Division, and there are, if, uh, just a quick count, and maybe I'm missing somebody, but I, I want to say six new coaches this year. That's counting Colin Chalk, who was a, uh, an mm -hmm. interim last spring. Um, and if you want to get really technical, I mean, for the Silver Knights, they, they're thrilled to have Manny Viveros back in a full-time capacity because he was away for long stretches of last year due to his, uh, his medical condition. So there's a lot of coaching turnover in the Pacific Division at large. Yeah, and kind of just a, a real interesting mix. I mean, Coachella Valley brought in Dan Bilesma. He was with Charlotte last year as an assistant, uh, kind of representing the Seattle Kraken, took over the head job. I mean, there's a guy who's a Jack Adams winner, right? I mean, I often... Uh, I went back to the numbers. It's only the second time ever uh, a coach has come to the AHL after having won the Jack Adams. Uh, so you have that. You have John McCarthy in San Jose, uh, longtime captain there, young guy, 35, 36 years old. Uh, then you have Marco Sturm, a guy with really no connection at all to the AHL before that, uh, played years and years in the, the NHL. Um, NHL assistant coach also has a lot of experience uh, internationally with Germany. So, um, you know, he's kind of an interesting there just in terms of how he you know adapts the HL uh yeah Sommer obviously uh Colin Chalk um yeah, Tucson they kind of went back to the to the past with Steve Potman who was their coach during the uh that, that abbreviated season in 2021 um 
uh, Jeremy Colleton in Abbotsford, uh, yep. kind of getting another crack at the, the AHL after having been a Chicago Blackhawks head coach. I thought that was, uh, you know, kind of a tough fit for him when he went in there, uh, replacing Joel Quinville with the team on the downside. Uh, so now he brings that NHL experience back. Uh, and then, like you said, Henderson with uh, Manny Fibros, uh, which is great to see him back uh, full time now and uh, kind of past, uh, you know, what was such a difficult season. Such a small sample size, Patrick. This is going to be a bit of an unfair question when most teams are, are two or three games into the season. But mm-hmm. is, is there anyone you're particularly excited about or anyone who looks good out of the gate to you that uh, that you have high expectations for? Yeah, uh, Coachella Valley. Um, they're very aggressive uh, this summer. And, you know, they're interesting because really it's only the second year for the Seattle Kraken, so they don't have that that real kind of a churn of prospects into the system yet. So they, they kind of had to go out and piece together a, a roster there. And they brought Andrew Podorowski back-to-back scoring champ. Uh, Joey Decord, who had a great season last year in Charlotte, is back. He's uh, one of the Seattle prospects. Uh, good uh, number of veterans, Cameron Hughes, uh, John Hayden. Guys are kind of on that NHL, AHL bubble. But uh, yeah. you know, certainly, obviously, that was an attractive uh sales pitch too as well you know come playing Palm Springs in the winter and brand new facility 300 million dollars so uh you know it's uh it's a different AHL obviously you know you look at uh, Henderson you look at Coachella you look at the new building in San Jose I mean that's three new buildings in the past uh, not even a year so um it's uh, big money being put into that whole operation um because that is the business division and really one of the most successful additions to the AHL really in, in years and years. It is going to be interesting for Coachella, though. Just that They're still building that mm-hmm. uh, arena, so they're going to spend a lot of time on the road and a couple of home games in Seattle, too. So uh, they have a ton of talent on that roster, absolutely, but they're going to have to overcome some extenuating sure. circumstances to be in, in good shape come Thanksgiving time. Yeah, 16 of 20 to start the season. Um, they knocked two off already in, in, in Calgary uh, this past weekend, uh, 2-0. and um, Certainly a team that, uh, you know, they looked uh, every bit um, what you might think they'll be. Uh, but, yeah, uh, for sure, that's going to be a challenge, right? I mean, now the, the, the catch is if you can kind of make it through that, maybe 500, a little bit over 500. When you do come back, you have a really heavy home schedule there yeah. in the second half uh, from December on, so. You know that that's that's the challenge here. Just get get yourself to December, um, you know, pretty relative decent shape uh, standings wise, and if you can do that, uh, you should be in a really good spot uh, you know, going forward. How about the East? Do we see Utica looks like it could be strong again? Hershey is pretty much always strong, but then Laval and Springfield were the two teams standing in the East at the end of last spring. Yeah, the East was strange last year. I did. I don't think anybody had Laval going as far as they went to game seven of the Eastern final. Um, they were just a team that kind of he caught uh, fire at the right time. Uh, they got a few breaks, you know, in terms of matchups, uh, teams get knocked off early like Utica. Um, Hershey's always in the mix. Providence, uh, you know, year in and year out, the competitive team. And then, you know, you look over in, you know, the North division, I mean, you have a really good young Rochester team uh, that's already sent a number of prospects up to the Buffalo Sabres, but uh, they still have more. Belleville's always uh, solid there with Troy Mann as their head coach. Cleveland, I think, will be much better. Uh, they brought in a lot of good European pros. Uh, so um, there's really, when I look up and down, um, that especially that North Division, I don't see anybody that looks that weak. Uh, you know, the Atlantic's a little, little bit still, uh, I think, uncertain for me. Uh, Hartford, they had that that really bad uh, close their season. They lost 17 of 21. They were in they were in a playoff spot at one point. They missed altogether which is 
when you know 23 of 31 teams last year made it that's that's that's, that's hard to do something. but yeah yeah that is hard to do uh but uh they overhauled their roster quite a bit so you know this that's the thing with this league i mean you think you have a good feel for the roster or for the league and um next season's completely different half or maybe two-thirds in some cases of the roster you know turns over and that's a big difference from the nhl nhl is more you know one year carries into the next but uh you know just like with a guy like polarowski um back-to-back scoring champ he's on his third team in three years and that right. obviously never happened in the nhl so uh it's kind of like they just you know they reset every year and uh you know what you knew last year doesn't necessarily hold a lot of water this year yeah. if you've been around a while and you put up big numbers that just makes you uh very very attractive to a lot of different yep. people every single summer and you know it's interesting you mentioned like for hartford of course the the rangers had such a highly touted prospect pool but eventually all those guys, or a good chunk of those guys, graduate. And we saw last night, Ontario still looks very, very good. But they're very good without Velarde, without Anderson Dolan. You know, eventually these guys bump up, and that can make a, a transition from season to season as well. Yeah, that's the problem when you do your job well in this league. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of reward in, you know, in terms of wins and losses. Uh, uh, but uh, that's obviously what coaches are here for. Um, they're good ones. They can combine both. They can win and develop. But... Uh, uh, that is a challenge every year when, you know, that cycle of players, uh, if you happen to be, you know, on the upswing, it's great. But, you know, once you start moving those guys up, then you, you can have a few few uh, lean years until kind of uh, you can replenish the system. But um, that's where your good vets come in. I think that's where, uh, you know, Ontario's always uh, you know, really been competitive in that regard, bringing in good vets. And same thing with Henderson. You know, uh, even if you go through a period where, you know, the prospect pool gets a little thin, it's always going to be an attractive place, uh, especially with the new building in Henderson, to, to bring in some of your top late AHL players. With Patrick Williams, uh, I doubt there's anyone who watches more AHL hockey than you that doesn't work in a team's <laughs> front office. And I wonder, when you're trying to put context to everything that you're watching uh, with statistics and wins and losses and, and weighing that against uh, who's got a lot of players up at the moment or down at the moment, there, there's so many factors that you're trying to uh, – to balance when you're looking for the merits of AHL teams. One thing that's got to make everything a lot easier for you when you're tabulating scoring races and things of that nature is that finally everyone's playing 72 games. And I wonder uh, in this first season of that, uh, that balance, how that can contribute also to the competitive balance of how we assess all these teams against one another when we do get, uh, it's a long way away, but when we get to the spring, how we, uh, how we can judge these teams on the numbers. Well, if nothing else, it will make all of our lives easier. You right. don't have to do percentage points and uh, all we're, that. But uh, We're back yeah, to magic numbers, be, thank God, right? <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, and, uh, you know, the standings just now, it's, you know, especially in a league where, you know, you have a lot of casual fans. It, it keeps it real simple, you know, quick lens, you know, everything going on. Last year, that was just so tough to have that context uh, because, you know, you could, you know, what is the percentage point, right? You know, is this a two-point game or is this an X percentage uh, uh, game? So right. um, it's easier for coaches, players, everybody. Um, and I, I think just scheduling-wise, we will be able to have a little bit better sense of the league. Uh, you won't have these huge gaps um, in games. I mean, there's different points uh, with the unbalanced schedule. You'd have, even late into the season, you'd have five or six game differences uh, between teams in the same division uh, because they're, in some cases, playing different numbers of games. Uh, so... Uh, it was a challenge, uh, no question. Uh, it's something I think that was really kind of the first big victory for Scott Helson as the new president of the league to come in and 
get that deal done. That was not an easy deal to get done, uh, to get especially to teams that were at 76 to knock off two home games. Um, that not an easy sell. He managed to do it. Uh, everybody's now finally on the same page. Let's just hope that it stays that way for a good long time. I, I do think, though, that for a while, that was the one thing that, because it was so obvious, we looked at the standings, fans could see the disparity in games played. It just, it just was something that the, you knew that ultimately you wanted to get some uniformity across the league. So you're right, that is a big, a big win for Scott Howes. And I wonder, is there anything else now that you think is high on the list of, of the next thing to tackle? I mean, it seems like there's pretty good uniformity across the league, but there's always things to work on. Is there a, another project for the league now of the next uh, evolution? I think if, if they had their druthers, they could they would maybe get a little bit more balance in the divisions. Um, you know that ten team division is that's a little bit uh, that's tough, right? You know, yeah. it's a little bit lopsided. Um, it's all a matter of getting you know selling somebody on switching divisions. Um, you know, I think Colorado might be a good fit because they fly everywhere anyway. But you know, then you have to sell. You know, if they went to the central, you'd have to sell the central teams on. I'm getting, you know, I'm flying more often off to Colorado. So, um, you know, I think as we come more and more out of the pandemic and kind of the financial hit that hit a lot of teams, um, I think it will be a little bit easier now to, to get some some of those kind of deals and, and, you know, different ideas through. I think everybody was in a real cautious just survive mode uh, for the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, now they're you know, coming out of it. Uh, you know, there's a sense now that, all right, we made it. Now we can start maybe tackling some of these long-term goals. Uh, you know, House was really when he came in, you know, the house was on fire, and he just had to guide the league uh, through that, and before he could even think about any sort of long-term plan. So, um, you know, everybody, you know, franchise-wise looks pretty solid. I don't see any real weak links anymore. Uh, so I think uh, on that front, it should be relatively quiet now. This league, never say never, but. Uh, the NHL is at 32, AHL is 32, so I think uh, I think everybody sort of just wants to uh, let things settle and then and see what they have. Well, I'll tell you what, if anyone ever told me that they need me to go to Milwaukee four times a year, I, w- I would play ball. I would be a cooperative person, <laughs> and I would, I would do what had to be done. Uh, Patrick, before we let you go, I'm going to ask you the way too early, completely unfair question that uh, we'll get you on the record so we can check back uh, maybe midway through the season and see how we're looking. Pick one team from the east, one team from the west. Who do you think we're going to see in the spring? Uh, I'll go Providence in the east. Just uh, They were so aggressive this summer. I, I love what they did. And from the west, I'll go Coachella. Coachella. I think uh, that's going to be a, a real fun team to watch this season. And a very popular location in June for a Calder Cup <laughs> playoff, I'm sure. Uh Patrick Williams, AHL Insider for the AHL.com. You'll find his stuff uh, all over the web. Anything in particular you're working on right now, Patrick, that fans should keep their eye open for? Yeah, every week, uh, you know, I do three, four uh, pieces a, a week for the, the AHL.com. So, you know, we, we, we hit a mix of prospects, and but also kind of uh, the more uh, feature type stuff like this, uh, Royce Thomas. So uh, we'll have a lot uh, coming up. And, uh, it's a great year. I mean, uh, you have uh, four first round picks just from this year's draft coming in and uh you know real high-end level talent uh kind of all up and down the league uh you know both real high-end veterans but also those you know those star prospects that really i think uh move the move the dial for fans so yeah it should be uh should be a fun year and we'll be following along every single week patrick and we'll do this again real soon great to have you on today and uh great to be back in it happy october happy hockey season 
Same to you. Thank you. That's AHL insider Patrick Williams. We will step aside when we come back. We'll do a quick chat on tonight's game against the Bakersfield Condors because it is coming before we wrap up this edition of HSK Today. Brian McCormick here with you on 1230 of the game. This is the Henderson Silver Knights Radio Network. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more. HSK Today. Back on HSK today it was great having Patrick Williams on in our last segment. And ooh, Lin Lindsay, I have an echo in my headset. I wonder if everyone else hears that. Nope, there it's gone now. See, I scared it away. Thank you, Lindsay. Sorry about that. Um, but you know, it was great having Patrick Williams on as he was able to give us. Uh, I mean, really, we, we talked AHL hockey, but just a, a wealth of knowledge on the uh, the Pacific Division. And I recommend everyone go to theahl.com theahl.com to find all of Patrick's work, including his uh, feature on Roy Sommer, who after 26 years in the San Jose Sharks organization, now with the San Diego Gulls. And uh, not, not a bad uh, off-season move if you have to make one, but uh, he does stay in the Pacific, the winningest head coach in AHL history, not ready to hang him up just yet. It's going to be a great sports night uh, all over the dial. Right now the uh, Philadelphia Phillies and San Diego Padres in game two of the NLCS. Phillies have a lead early in that one, and that's a, that's game two. Phillies trying to take a two games to none lead and take both games out of Petco Park. Uh, and then the ALCS with the Yankees and Astros kicks off about uh, roughly two hours from now, a little, little less than that. Uh, Yankees and Houston Astros, they'll have game one in Houston. So a lot going on tonight. And, of course, while you're perusing through those, you're going to keep us on the dial on 1230 of the game for Silver Knights in Con uh, Bakersfield Condors tonight. First meeting between these teams this season. As mentioned, this is a Condors team that has some veteran presence. That includes Brad Malone, who was sent down by the uh, Edmonton Oilers, I believe. If it wasn't this morning, then it was yesterday. But either way, he's... Uh, I, I believe expected to be available for the Condors tonight, and Brad Malone has just been a Silver Knights killer, perhaps more so than anyone else over the course of the last three seasons. 19 points in 17 career games against the Silver Knights. Seth Griffith had a pretty good time against the Silver Knights last season as well. He had 11 points in the season series, and he has two assists already to start this campaign. The Condor's roster does have uh, a handful of, of names that are fascinating, including Matthias Janmark, uh, also prospects like Raphael Lavoie, Justin Bailey, who's been a top AHL scorer for the last several years. Last year was with the Abbotsford Canucks, but uh, none of them have been ready for game action just yet. Don't know that we're going to see them tonight. Clem Costin, a new addition, former first-rounder of the St. Louis Blues, came over to the Oilers in the offseason, and he has uh, two games under his belt. Uh, former San Antonio Rampage and Springfield Thunderbird now with the Condors, and we'll see him tonight. Uh, player that was the last pick, number 32 in his draft year, which was the first year that they had uh, 32 picks in the, and it, excuse me, 32, 31, excuse me. His draft was the first uh, draft that the VGK participated in, and he was number 31 overall in 2017. Never cracked it as a full NHLer in the Blues organization. But this is a, uh, a Condors team that has had no trouble performing at a high level in Vegas. They are 6-2-1 all-time as visitors 
in Henderson slash uh, Vegas, the Orleans and the Dollar Loan Center. And they won the first ever game in this building back on April the 2nd. As you can hear in the background, they're doing the sound checks here at the Dollar Loan Center as they're ready for the third home game of this regular season. Uh, and for the Silver Knights, they felt very good about their last three games. They got one win out of those three, but they feel like they've been doing the right things and the goals are going to come. Uh, they'll face a, uh, a stiff challenge likely in the Bakersfield crease as I think the expectation is right now the goalie tandem for the Condors is Calvin Pickard and Olivier Rodrigue. I think it's likely that we're going to see Calvin Pickard tonight, a veteran of 280 career American Hockey League games. Henderson Silver Knights have done some line juggling over the course of the first three games, but uh, more defensive pairing uh, switch-ups than anywhere else. We'll see if uh, Maeve Iveros implements anyone else new in the lineup tonight as the Silver Knights have a busy week still ahead of them with two games in San Jose this weekend. We'll call it a day on HSK Today. Make sure you tune in for pregame coverage at 6.30 and puck drop at 7 p.m. tonight against the Bakersfield Condors. I'm Brian McCormick. Thank you to Patrick Williams for joining us and to Lindsey Brown on the other side of the glass. We'll see you next Wednesday at 2 o'clock on 12.30 of the game for HSK Today. See you tonight, everybody.